0: Welcome to the Wilds Cast. On this episode of the Wilds Cast, we continue our three part series on the relationship between religion and science. This week's guest is world round expert Dr. Gerald Schroeder. Schroeder is a scientist with over 30 years of experience in research and teaching, and he's an expert at the intersection of Torah,
1: evolution, and cosmology. Okay, we are live. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, my friends. And welcome, Dr. Gerald Schroeder, in our second of a three-part series on science and religion, friends and foes. I'm so excited to have our very, very special guest. I was just telling Dr. Schroeder how I and my entire family are huge fans of his amazing books and scholarship, Genesis and the Big Bang, God According to God. Dr. Gerald Schroeder earned his BS M.S. and Ph.D. in nuclear physics and earth and planetary sciences from MIT. And he also taught at MIT physics for seven years. He has served as a consultant to various governments worldwide, been published in Time, Newsweek, Scientific American. He is the author of this amazing book, Genesis the Big Bang, The Discovery of Harm, Nutrient, Modern Science in the Bible. Also in another amazing book, Called the science of God, the hidden face of God, God according to God, his works appear in eleven different languages, and he is a lecturer at Eish HaTorah in Jerusalem at the Discovery, the Seminar Essentials, and a lot of other programs that Eish runs. He focuses on topics of evolution, cosmology, and the age of the universe. Welcome, Dr. Schroeder. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for
2: having me. Should be. I'm looking forward.
1: Well, front. I really, <laughs> yes, 100%, this is fine. Um, So before we get into some of the, I guess, apparent contradictions um, that we're trying to work out between religion and science, tell us what drew you to the world of science and what value that that you have as a religious Jew see in studying science.
2: Well, I don't think you can get a, truthfully, I, I don't want to frighten some people away or whatever however but if you read the, in the introduction to Maimonides Guide for the Perplexed and then I think also in part three he makes it very clear that essentially when the Torah came into the world it's split into two parts one was written down and one was in nature Mm-hmm. And he says the only way that you can, it says it explicitly in the introduction, I guess, that may be why people burned his books, that the only way you can know God is, of course, through the revelation of the word, but also you are like a, to quote from Parfit, like a blind, a blind person searching for the door if you don't also know Madat the science of nature. Mm-hmm. That's what he calls. He says it, to, to fully understand his Hebrew word which which is the the science of God. That's not how I got the title for that book. My wife, <laughs> but then I noticed there it was in his introduction. the science to know the science of the, the science of God. You also have to know the science of nature because the Torah is in two parts, and nature is showing us how how God works. So,
1: uh, wow, that's I beautiful. Science,
2: I was in science deep into science already before i started to search for you know what makes this world work and how you get this shiluv, this integration between the nature of the world and the revelations in the world and how they come together to give a full a full
1: picture beautiful and and when and what is your most powerful argument i mean as a scientist really so curious um what what motivates you or what inspires you to believe in God as a scientist now?
2: As a scientist, I would say the most amazing part of, is is the, uh, is the nature of the universe. The, uh, the, the fact that there's existence, the fact mm. that there's existence, and the fact that we have this magnificent thing called life and consciousness, most of this stuff we take for, for example. I mean, we take... For uh, for granted, I'm going to say, say mm-hmm. for granted. But the fact is, it's not for granted that there is existence, a, and that we have consciousness of this existence. So those factors, I think, pull me to the fact that there must be something behind all of this, underneath all of this, and that certainly is the understanding of most many of many of the quantum physicists. We always see those scientists are always. And, to, and against God, not against God, but you know, they're, let's say they're agnostics, not atheists, but agnostics. They don't know. But if you look at them, at their basic writings, they're all searching for why is there something rather than nothing. Even mm. the famous, the late blessed Mary Stephen Weinberg, who he's always quoted as as saying the world seems pointless and there's no point. I've spent time with him, and, and uh, he didn't seem to act that way when we, t- when we met face on face and talked. But even he's he's this fantastic question, his statement. He said, that even after we answer, if we could answer all the scientific questions that there are, we would still be remain with the major question of why is there something rather than nothing, you know, why is there existence? You know, Marshall, Marshall McLuhan in his famous book <coughs> *The Writes* it so beautifully. He says, "I'm not sure discovered water." but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the fish. <laughs> now, why wouldn't the fish discover water? Because that's <clears throat> the same reason we don't question consciousness, existence, awareness. We just, by the time we're old enough to even question these things, we've been existing, you know, for, for so many years, we just take it for granted. But it is the basic question.
1: Why is and, there something? And, and, and you know, there's been a whole new wave of um, these um, very, Emboldened atheists, not just agnostics, I think, but real atheists—people who deny that there could be a god because we have this, you know, evolutionary, you know, uh, explanation. We can give an explanation for consciousness. For, I mean, do they do they claim that they, that evolution and random mutation, natural selection, can create consciousness? Um, you know, that we we have an explanation. We don't need God to explain it.
2: That the level to get to consciousness, the cop-out answer was is we don't understand it, but it's the way the neurons. You realize there are like a hundred billion nerve cells, neurons mm-hmm. in your brain, and each cell has thousands and tens of thousands of connections. So you have such a complexity that that must be how consciousness arises. That's the atheist. Mm-hmm. The persons that see magnificent magnificence in this, like I'm going to I just want to read this. Actually, from from. Uh, uh, Nobel laureate Nobel laureate in neuro, neurophysiology, Eccles. The mind uses the brain to think as an instrument. Max Planck, Nobel laureate, physicist. I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as a derivative of consciousness. George Wald, Nobel Prize biologist. The stuff of which physical reality is composed is mind stuff. It is mind that is composed of the physical universe. That, that the universe, that consciousness is fundamental to the... How how does it mean consciousness is fundamental? Consciousness, it's exactly... If you took Rashi, it's exactly what he says when he brings it to Proverb proverb 8. I am wisdom. God used me to make the world. Mm -hmm. It's It's not that the first creation or emanation was the big bang of the energy, the magnificent energy of this big bang that exploded and became matter, and then matter became alive. The first emanation was something totally... Non physical, called wisdom. Not that God was wise to make the universe, that's not what it says. God used something totally ethereal. And that's what's amazing, that's Proverb number eight. So let's, and Rashi, so what does mm-hmm. that go take back to about four, to over 3,500, you know, about, about three, 2,500, 3,000 years ago from, from Michelin, for proverb, Proverbs. This is exactly what quantum physics says today. And you'd only expect this at the quantum level when you get to the very fundamentals. You're not going to see this amazing reality that the universe is, in fact, an expression of a thought, which is right, of course, physics all the time, and at the quantum level. And when you're picking up a hard-boiled egg or a, of arranging a lamp or something, when you get down to the fundamentals, the quantum level, you discover there's nothing there, no thing there. That's not Jerry Schroeder's... Uh, a you know, Bible mm-hmm. thumper, that's not Jerry Shorter speaking. That's physics. That's quantum physics. And that's I have to I want to say there is a book that became very famous called A Universe from Nothing from mm-hmm. Leonard Krauss. The science in it is magnificent. I mean, it's really, if you want to understand physics and quantum physics, it's
1: on a late, on
2: a, on a, a honestly level. And he gets to the end of this book. I apologize for going, but at this, I think. No, please.
1: What's the name of the book again? Tell us again.
2: A A Universe from Nothing. I'm not recommending it for the following reason. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm embarrassed that he's a Jew, but okay. He gets (laughs) to the end of the book and he's, and he has also Richard Dawkins. We finally driven the nail into the coffin. Of the idea that there's a god the stupidity of that statement his entire argument is based on how magnificent the laws of nature are and it always comes back to quantum physics as if he's and oh so then and in an interview someone asked him well what about the laws of nature oh you nitpickers you always want to ask that question but that's the whole answer the whole answer is the laws of nature that derived and, and, and developed this magnificent world and no one has an answer for that. It's not just a why. It is true. You do not need, if you have the laws of nature, quantum physics and relativity, the laws of nature, mm-hmm. you can create a universe from nothing physical, but you do need, you need the laws of nature. And if you go to like the NASA site or I have I have a a, uh, a video. It has about three and a half million views on the main site. Someone did a search mm-hmm. over there. It. It's about wow. five million web <laughs> and it's called Proof of Garden. Five minutes. May, I met, I get nothing from it. I signed away my rights, so I don't get a royalty from all the mm-hmm. advertisements. Okay? Mm-hmm. I get nachos. By <laughs> me get into the millions of views. The the graphics are great. I didn't do them. The guys that, are, that filmed it did it, and it was done without any script. But it shows that, the, that the, the creation of the universe from absolutely nothing physical, as described by NASA, the National Outer Space Authority, and the, entire, the entire video, except the last 30 seconds, is mm-hmm. NASA data or NASA mm-hmm. data. It is exactly <coughs> the me. description of the Torah description of the creation of the universe and how God creates the universe. From absolute nothing physical. So, so, exactly you're saying,
1: so you're so you're saying that the laws of nature, okay, the what you mentioned is quantum physics and theory of so, relativity it's, it's, and it's, all that can, can, can in fact create the universe something from nothing, but you need those laws of the nature. And where do those laws of the nature come from? So you don't believe that the world of science has uh, an adequate explanation as to how these laws of nature developed, other than...
2: It has no explanation. Zero. It has no explanation. It doesn't have an adequate... It has no explanation. It takes it as a given, like consciousness. It takes it as a given. There's a... In in Borden College in Maine, on the Seals Science Building, it is... There's something carved into the stone. Nature's laws are God's thoughts. (laughs) It's magnificent. Boy, oh, it's college nature's Nature's, uh, I wonder if you can get that on a college wall today. This is, <laughs> this is carved into the building's walls, so they got to change the building. Nature's laws are God's thoughts. And that's exactly it. Nature's law, it isn't, it isn't that you don't need some prompting along the way, because nature's laws are not enough to turn energy into a conscious being. Evolution doesn't work on randomness. And even persons like the late Stephen Jay Gould, who I knew is a lovely human being. uh, uh, He loved the Bible like he loved Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Even he, he who was a strong advocate for evolution, said, but there are channels. It's not a wide open field the way the the mutations occur. They're They're channeled by certain laws. Oh, there is again, by certain laws of nature. In other words, even persons who will say, say it's uh, you quote random, but the randomness isn't isn't wide open. The randomness is in a field that is narrowed. It's not an, if uh, if it weren't narrowed, it would be it would be infinite. Mm-hmm. So the fact that life and that's why I use the word developed. If you use the word evolution, you are by force, including that it's all random. Uh, not not because of the original meaning of the word of evolution, but how it is. I've had the good fortune over the many years at H that we had four confirmed avid evolutionists. Don't tell me differently. That that for some reason want, wanted to come to the class. I hope they know. But all four, when I asked them to define evolution, and this is crucial. Here it was. It's a two-stage process. The first stage is random mutations in the sex line produce changes in the progeny. The second stage is is not random. Because some because of those changes, those mutations that were random, some cheetah are born fast, some cheetah are born slow. Well, fast cheetah get more food for the young than slow cheetah. You know, some lions are born strong and some are weak. So the strong lions kill the weak lion. That's not random. Mm -hmm. But what evolution says is random is the is the mutations that occur, and there's no space in biology for that. The field is too wide; it has to be channeled. But so when I talk about the development of life, I don't use the word evolution. I say, did life develop from the simple to the complex? Look, I certainly hope so, or the Bible's wrong. I right. mean, notice the Bible started out first plant life, then 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 the explosion of life in the waters, there can't be the Cambrian explosion of life, and that that first mention of life is like whoever wrote the Bible. With the big capitals letters, mm-hmm. we're on a limb that says that that the waters, the first mention of animal life, let the waters team with teams of living creatures. I don't know if I can put <laughs> it out, but that's called the Cambrian explosion of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Suddenly, out of the blue, every phylum that exists today in its most basic form appears. Suddenly, the Cambrian explosion of life, and sci- and Torah talks about it. So we have plant life. Aquatic life, land life, and then finally human life, which is exactly what the fossil record says. We get six sentences, and the and the fossil record gives us ten million samples,
1: but it now, but, So let me just uh, let me just stop you from this is fascinating, and I really appreciate you breaking this down for us. So, in when you argue that the complexity of the universe implies a deliberate, intelligent designer, so you're you're not saying that the 14 billion years, let's say, that evolutionists believe is the age of the universe, that that's just not enough time for random mutation, natural selection to have created all this complexity, implying that if we had more time, you know, it could happen on its own. Or is your argument that there's never enough time for any of this to happen on its own? And there, even if you believe in the multiverse theory, that there are multiple universes, well, that it doesn't matter. None of this could have happened on its own. No matter how many universes, no matter how much time, it has to start with some being responsible for the laws of physics, for the laws, you know, for theory of relativity, quantum physics. There has to be some sort of force behind all of this to start. Is, is that the base? Is that the gist of the argument?
2: Well, there's two aspects in what you just were. First of all, all, I haven't studied all the theories of of, of, of multiple universes. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're quite weak. But that, that's, all the theories for the origins of, the, of universes that, I've, that I have studied, okay, so I don't pretend I've said them all, all require the laws of nature, and of those laws of nature, all require quantum physics. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I, I'm saying I have not studied all, including string theory and everything else, okay? That's, but, but we don't have an infinite amount of time. We have 14 billion years life developed on the earth okay i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not going with the fact that if life was cedar, that doesn't answer anything because then, where's the cedar where's the cosmic johnny apple seed throwing the seeds around that mm-hmm. makes it even more more theologically designed so we don't have an infinite amount of time we have 14 billion years those those data are quite strong and i as as the age of the universe calculations that i did which have are totally based on nasa uh, excuse me are totally well the, the on nasa and then the others that are based on on Torah numbers. They both match. the uh... mm-hmm. and remember Isaac of Acco, the primary student of Nachmanides, made the. Um, are you familiar with the calculation?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. tell us, share, please.
2: Well, fifteen billion years. That's a calculation made eight. That's that's the Ramban. Between That's a that's a seven hundred year old calculation before anyone knew about dinosaurs or, or ages of rocks. And that is the only calculations. I think there's a dozen. I'll make that clear. Isaac Avaka was the primary student of Nachmanis. Not- mm-hmm. He says, this is my my teacher taught me, but he was not allowed to tell it because he's a Mikubal and the seat is lost. I will teach it. And he went out on a limb and he taught it. And Arya uh, Kaplan saw the original document in one of the archives. And somehow all these things will end, end up in Russia for some reason. For some, I guess and then we don't have just to... On one foot, we got 14 billion years. Let the universe be gaz- billions and billions and gazillions and billions of years old. It's irrelevant to us. We're on Earth here. We start off as a burst of energy and over that time, life has to develop. And,
1: and, if, we, and if we had 20 billion years, would it change anything or not?
2: I can't pretend I've done enough calculations. Or mm-hmm. uh, 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 20 billion, no. You, you have to have probably like hundreds of billions of years.
1: But, it, but right. it could, if I'm just curious, just trying to, I'm only asking this not to challenge, but to just understand the nature of the please, argument.
2: Please, if yeah. they, uh, People, I offer, you know, sometimes people say, I don't want to challenge you. If I don't want really to challenge, I can stand in front of a mirror. And, <laughs> oh, you are just so bright. You know, <laughs> right.
1: that's really well, well, that's that's what's unfortunately happening in our day and age. You know, we're, we're, we're talking just to people we agree with all the time. So, I, and I'm not anywhere near, I'm, I'm a total layman when it comes to these but I just want to understand the argument that that it's, it's, it, it is saying that if we had, let's say we had hundreds of billions of years, which we don't. I know we don't. Uh, nobody sure. claims that we do. What but if, if we have
2: ha- hundreds of billions of universes.
1: Well, forget like the universe. universes. Just let's say time. Let's say we had much yeah. more time. We had 30, 50 happened. billion years of time. Could all of this uh, complexity have developed on its own without there being a deliberate creator in the beginning who comes up with these laws of physics and of nature.
2: My guess is, in our universe, no, because the we don't the difficulty we we know so little about the whole universe. You'd have mm-hmm. to have many many other platforms of life, which eventually be access, accessible from the Earth, and those platforms of life, like the Earth, is just perfect. I mean, we don't have time to get into it, but the and I think in one of my books, I list 50,000. Yeah, yeah okay. I remember. Earth is yeah. perfect, but you have to have others because the earth isn't going to be around for another 20 billion years. There's going to be around for another five or so, but don't get worried, it's billions, five <laughs> billion, don't the famous joke, I you said millions. No. <laughs> our time wouldn't be enough. So mm-hmm. you have to have that, that life Takes these fifteen or fifteen, eighteen billion, and then moves itself over to another planet that's much younger, but has, has Earth qualities of which we know none of at the moment. But maybe there are, probably there are others, and then that. You know, you'd have to we'd have to hopscotch from planet to planet because no stars last long enough. St- the finite life of any particular star will not be long enough to cal- to satisfy the statistics. There's an excellent book that came out by. Uh, Steve Myers, the mm-hmm. return of the God hypothesis, which he brings all the arguments together. And it's a very powerful argument for the need for for a God. Or a it's society. called the
1: return. What is it called? The return. The return
2: of... of the God hypothesis. Okay. Came out about a few about a year or so to A couple of years It's uh it's a compendium of mm-hmm. studies of the need for time and and conditions and it's it's a very powerful statement.
1: Now, I'm told Professor, I'm and this is so helpful I'm told that you were influential in helping a well-known atheist, Anthony Flew, um, become a believer in a designer type of God. I'm so curious because a lot of people have said to me, listen you have students who come into MJE who believe in God, you have students who don't, you're not going to change one from, you know you can just strengthen someone's belief but apparently it seems like a very a real philosopher. Also, I, I Googled him. He's quite an accomplished philosopher. What did you that's say? Like What's that? Like an accomplished.
2: When he published his thesis that there's no God in the 1950s, for the next five zero years, the next 50 years, that thesis was the most widely quoted, and that's the only thing that makes a publication. I publish something in science. If no one quotes it, I could have just stayed home and twiddled my thumbs. You don't get credit for publications you get <laughs> pub- that are that are quoted by other persons. His publication that there's no God was the wi- most widely quoted publication for 50 years in every in any field of philosophy. Forget theology, any field. Your position, he had. I can tell you, when he made his conversion by <laughs> the converted, converted to converted to a God, the poor guy was pilloried. Pilloried. when i got to work they, it, when it came out in the news it was announced on the and on 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 tv and stuff and i got i bike i go i get to asia tour people started patting me on i thought because i got to work on time or something i mean <laughs> they were so they were they were there were two people that are primarily involved there were many persons but there were two i was one of them the other and, and he acknowledges that the other is a man by the name of rory varghese Mm-hmm. an Asian Indian that lives in Dallas, Texas, high tech. He he, f- written some very good books. He sent. Uh, I'm just going quickly to give a summary. Yeah. So he, he sent Roy Varghese he sent his from sent his, one or two of his books and a few of my books to um, to to Anthony. He read them and then Roy spon- Roy said, "Look, I want to get you guys together." So he brought. Uh, he took me from Israel and and an entity from from through entering from, from england and two or two other persons we put put suckers down in in at north uh was it north in the downtown in new york's new york city what's the university as a good film school in any event he, mm-hmm. he documented on a uh have a uh dvd called has science discovered god and for three days in be in between eating these magnificent platters of kosher food that <laughs> God bless uh, uh, Roy. I mean, he really worried for me. He brought these like, giant, you know, downtown. So, you think, it's, so you, think,
1: you, you think it was the kosher food that convinced them there was a God?
2: Uh, it, you know, it, it might have been. It really was. It, we were all eating and it was de- delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, well, the two factors that convinced Vince Tony, Anthony, uh, were that the universe had a beginning, you know, unless you study this, you think, well, maybe there was a beginning. Maybe the data say perhaps that there was a beginning to the universe. And that to say that life is complex is to say like a perfect is, you know, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> complexity doesn't catch the, it's right. not a deep enough word. I don't think there's any word that I would recommend to anyone watching, listening, whatever, just take a few hours off and just study something simple like photosynthesis. Just photosynthesis, what goes on in every leaf of a tree, every leaf of a flower. It's it's madness. It's it's just that. I'm not talking about life and neurons and brains and so. This is just it's is a plant. <laughs> the complexity. Oh, and so the complexity, the complexity of life. And the fact that it had to develop in a certain amount of time were the two main factors that Tony, that Anthony flew. Uh, uh,
1: so, so I mean, the, the the that the universe has a beginning, the Big Bang, I guess, and yes. and then the complexity. But he didn't. I'm just curious. I mean, he wasn't aware of those things beforehand. Like, what changed? He just he
2: <laughs> what changed? Well, he now realized that those were proven facts,
1: uh-huh, not uh-huh.
2: opinions. You know, the fact is, if, if you only get some of the popular press, well, this magazine talks about it, but, you know, I hear these other people saying it's really not true or maybe, and they use a ridiculous argument, carbon-14, that tells you immediately they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, Carbon-14 has nothing to do, and maybe to the fossil record, maybe 1%, maybe one-half of 1% of mm-hmm. It's such a short-lived life, short-lived uh, uh, radio nuclide. So, yeah, that those were the two, but I'll tell you, the the he was pilloried. I felt so terrible for him. He would people called him. You realize how many thousands of people. He was the asmarchta. How do I show this? He was a hook, <laughs> right. and they, hung, they hung their atheism on him. Thousands and tens of thousands of people. He apologized. He said, "I follow the school of Socrates. I go to where truth leads me." And he uh, he apologized for leading people astray. Now initially it was a, qu- a question: was a, a deist god? or a God that continues actively. And mm-hmm. we were able to show that you have to have this deist God active from, for at least part of the time as the universe uh-huh. develops or you can't get life out of a burst of energy.
1: Oh, now, wow, that's interesting. You know, the is how, excuse me? No, that's fascinating. I, I never really thought of... I always thought, like, you know, our conversations about cosmology and and, and all... well, not cosmology, about... Um, yeah, would, 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 would have evidence, if you will, for a, a, a deliberate, intentional creator. But whether or not you believe that that creator is involved in the world or in our lives, that's just a matter of faith. Right? That's not something that can be, you know, um, demonstrated scientifically. But you're saying it can be, that God is involved in I'm the s-
2: world? You, you do them mathematically. I mean, that you're going to do by statistics. So you can't prove, you know, no one's looking over and watching the hand of God come in. But and and the whole name of the game is, I mean, the name. Pardon me for saying too. The name of the game is free will choice. So Mm -hmm. so if the world doesn't look natural, at least at some level, there's no free will left. Even we see that with the splitting of the sea. We just get done reading about the splitting of the sea. And God needs a wind to split the sea. I'm going to give me a break. I presume God could do a more dramatic thing, just use a wind. And by the way, there is a wonderful study by the world's leading journal of meteorology that shows that a wind can't split the sea. It's in the American <laughs> journal of meteorology. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so, so the wind that split the sea looks so natural that what happened? The Israelites go through, and who follows them right on in? Now, how do we know that they looked natural? Because when the waters are coming back and the wheels are getting stuck, they say, "Yah, baby. God is fighting for the Israelites." Then they realize it's a miracle. But the wind itself was not was a, a forty mm. mile an hour wind was put to sea.
1: <coughs> that's fascinating.
2: So, so the world is always going to look natural, and so that's so. So, what we can only do is work with statistics and see whether whether mathematically it makes sense that these particular these reactions can occur in a time frame that the Torah gives us. And that's the great thing about the second half of the Bible, the one that's written in nature, the truth. Psalm 85, the truth shall spring from the earth. All these studies, the age of the universe, the bronze age, the when, when the continental, continental, continental drift that opens these because that, so the water is, you know, there's enough water in the oceans. If, if those, Depths, the Pacific and the Atlantic basin didn't exist. And they only existed because of the way the, nature, the earth cooled from its molten mass and its motions. If they didn't exist, our entire earth, the entire earth, would be covered by a mile and a half of water. Every bit. Every piece on earth would be covered by. And so you see how the, these. Uh, I, I guess I'm getting off of it, but just the idea. That no, 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 no. And-
1: yeah, exactly. <coughs> so, point. And what would your best explanation be then? If we can just take it, obviously, you see no contradiction between the scientific belief that the world is 14 billion years old and the literal. I mean, I guess that's the answer, but I don't want to give it away. The, the literal Torah's account of 5,782.
2: Rashi says, Kufdalat that the days of Genesis in Hagiga 12a, Yom, he says, "Yom, day. It's the easiest. It's the easiest Rashi anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yom, day, 24 hours. The Ramban on Genesis chapter one verse three. You have to search for it though, because it's not easily available. Uh, it's not with a with a big exclamation point. It says not not only that the 24 hours, that the whole six days, of Kemoshecha Avodah, are like the six days of our work week. So." That's the Ramban. Mm-hmm. realize these are times when no one was worried about dinosaurs. you know how, how could they be when they why are they telling us they're twenty four hours each because they are twenty four hours each. I make that very I make it very clear. there are two views. there are two views, well there are thousands of views, but in my work, I use the two views of the passage of time from the creation up to Adam, or the creation up to now, it's a very small a few thousand years difference, up to Adam. From the Bible's point of view, the days are 24 hours each. Mm-hmm. The Ramban, Nachmanides not, not, and, and Rashi teach us, that, say that. They're not long periods. They're 24 hours each. But they see time from the beginning, and that was the great insight that I didn't have. The Ramban says it. Nachmanides says it. Why does why at the end of each day the day is numbered? There's evening and morning, day one, Mm -hmm. or one day, evening, morning, a second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, the sixth day. Why the Ramban asks? For those that know, Ramban is is the shorthand for Nachmanis. Why, why, (coughs) Nachmanis say day one? Why doesn't it say a first day? It says second day, third day. Give me a first day. But it says day one. Why does it say day one? It says day one because there was not yet a second day. Oh really? I think by the time you get to Sinai, I think, that you, I think by the time that you get to Sinai, there'd been uh, quite a few hundred thousand, thousands and thousands of days of the day. number no, just skipped from my head actually the calculate you So why? It says day one because the Torah for the six days of Genesis. See time and the development of the universe from the perspective looking forward from the beginning, from the creation. And those six days are a unit, and therefore they have a couplet. There was evening and morning, day one, evening and morning, Eve. nowhere else in the entire Tanakh do you have that couplet, evening and morning, and then the day, evening where it's unique to Genesis chapter one. Obviously, evening and morning are mentioned later, every places, but that couplet is unique. So you have this, these six days, day one, because the second day wasn't there. Really? Well, what's the only time where there wasn't a second day? From first day. So the Torah is seeing time for the six days of Genesis looking forward. Once you get to Adam, it splits. The calendar changes at Adam. How do we know that? Because we're told about Adam didn't live 130 years and they have a kid named Seth. They're not living in outer space. They're living on the earth. So you have the six days leading up to Adam, which is always a separate calendar, the ancient ever since the beginning of the calendar with Rosh Hashanah never commemorated the creation of the universe it was always the creation of the soul of Adam so that's the Torah and those are six 24 hour days we look back in time from our platform oh I think I lost everyone was I completely cut off there? I don't know Anyway, and we look back in time and we measure from here from an expanded universe and it turns out not by Jerry Schroeder. I did the calculation. I did the calculation. But the, but the, but the physics is standard. It's astronomy. It's not relativity. astronomy. That when you look at it from here, from the expanded universe, and try to focus, project the information back to the beginning, then as, the, as you go back towards the beginning, mathematically, the universe gets smaller and smaller. What's called the redshift it becomes more and more compressed. And 14 billion years compressed into five and a half or six days. And that's those numbers. No one has, no one debates the numbers. They say, I was just lucky. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, doing the 14 billion years and projecting it based on principles of, of, of physical cosmology, just and not relativity, just astronomy and cosmology. You take a measurement from here out now. This is the beginning back here. The Torah's mm-hmm. point of view back here. And now I want to go back. Well, what happens? If I go back mathematically, the universe is getting smaller. Things are becoming compressed. What also becomes compressed is the perception of time. So the days are 24 hours each, but within those days, millions and billions of years of each day. So if you were watching it from day, from the Torah's point of view, which obviously we can't do, you would see life, the world in a video, and super, super fast forward. The first 24 hour day would have seven billion years squashed into it. The day is, and a video, of four, and it would take 24 hours to watch. Your clock would be going.
1: Right. So, this is so just to, just to um, bottom line this basically, from the Bible's perspective, it's seven 24 hours day days, which is the way you said Rashi and the Ramban both explain the verses in the Torah. But from a, um, uh, a point of view of the relativity of in terms of relative time. No
2: relativity, just astronomy.
1: Just astronomy, okay. Re-
2: not relative. It's the expansion of the universe. Okay. People make that statement. I apologize for jumping in on that. No, no,
1: no, no. I'm, I'm, Even I'm, in I'm, my
2: book and on my website, I say it's not relativity, it's
1: just cosmology. Expansion just of the universe easy. would make a 24-hour day appear as 7 billion years or actually be 7 billion years.
2: You could... It's too... They're both true. If you uh-huh. took if we took this, if you took that re- expansion, if on my website there's there's a a, a a calculation. I, mean, I have no problem if you want to take it off the website and send it out to you. Mm-hmm. You don't. To, it, they're both. It's one reality from two different views. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Torah view six twenty four hour days. True from the Torah view, looking for from the beginning. Our view, 14 billion years with the huge universe looking back. And those are 14 billion years.
1: I gotcha. I okay.
2: No.
1: Right, because it's interesting. I, I interviewed um, Rabbi Slifkin, Rabbi Dr. Slifkin, last week on this episode uh, on the same topic. And he didn't like the explanation that each of the f- first six days of creation c- could have been more than 24 hours. It like, could have been billions of years because we're left with a sequence issue uh because um you know the way the torah describes for example the way evolution and torah record creation is different he said that the torah records that the plants were created before the sun according to evolution the sun came before the plants so Absolutely. rabbi I, right so I rabbi, I have
2: to, can i address that I'm, i am jumping in deliberately can i yeah, address please that? please yeah yeah please okay. first of all the days are 24 hours each mm-hmm. only person i know uh well, Aviezer says in his book from decades ago also that the days were long periods of time but he didn't know the Rashi I, I, that I can say that absolutely how can I say that because I, I discussed this with him in front of several several dozens of people maybe hundreds I don't remember the number and he had never seen that Rashi that the days are 24 hours each. that's Aviezer's book okay with Slifkins with Slifkin's, I don't know Slifkin's understanding totally but I disagree with him on 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 this. Strongly, as does the Torah. Look at the wording. Look at the wording. And this, obviously, I agree completely. Look at the wording. When you get to day four, the source, the lights are called mi'orot, mm-hmm. luminaries. And you can see them. Mi'orot, do not appear before that. Before that, you have or. Mi'orot, with the M sound at the beginning for the person that don't know Hebrew, means it is the body that is giving off light. Mm-hmm. It is the luminary itself, and you'll see that in some English translations catch that. What's the difference here? The sun predates day there's no word creation on day on on day four or day three. The word creation doesn't appear. But you can see the sun because it is, how and how do we know that it's that it's from the earth looking up because we said they now act as as symbols for. They for the seasons and for whatever, you know, We you can use them as signs, which means we can see these We can mm-hmm. see these luminaries. The atmosphere is clear, transparent. Why? Because of photosynthesis and oxygen. Go back to day number three. I, I do this. I apologize for taking your time. Yeah, no, me. no, no. This is great. It's this is crucial. great. So you saying Go on day number day. three,
1: yeah, please.
2: Day number four is the plants. And they are the, the, the sources of light are called me'orot. The sources mm-hmm. of light are called luminaries. The actual, you can see them. The atmosphere is transparent. What about day three? If you look at historically, and, and my it just happens because my uh, half of my doctors on the earth sciences as well, the earth starts out with a very cloudy, at, uh, a, a, a translucent atmosphere. I mm-hmm. personally have measured photosynthesis when the clouds are so heavy that you can't see the glow of an, sometimes it's overcast, but you can see that the sun is there because you can see that particular glow behind. You don't see the sun, but I have but measured photosynthesis when it's daytime, and you don't need a flashlight to get around, but the clouds are so heavy that you can't even see the glow of the sun. It's just all dispersed light, and the plants are pumping out oxygen right and left. You don't have to see the luminary, the mirror that's, that are described in day four. The sun is there already.
1: So when was the sun? Don't... When when did the sun? When was the three. sun created? And and sun, and, and based sun, on what? And no, based no, on no, what no, word? word
2: created. Creation does not appear for the sun. The word creation doesn't appear. It's formed. It's a okay. huge difference. Okay. I apologize for jumping. But then no,
1: no, no, no. And and when you say the sun was formed on day three, is there any any kind of reference in the Torah to that? Said, uh, let me let
2: me I'm gonna pull out the Torah and take a look. Where'd I will
1: get I'll get my homage also. Hold on. That's, it's, but the plants are just just fine with uh because but that's the case the of Me'orot versus Orod. Really mm-hmm. So so, so Me'orot is, is the Torah's reference to some body four. on day four, some body giving off light, but you're saying it pre existed. Is that the sun Me'orot, though? Yeah, you can yeah. see this. As, it says you can see these, and it's the of the stars. You right. can
2: use them as signs in the, uh, in the. Uh, okay, where I gotta get get back to. Look at that first, like like verse number fifteen. they should be there will be there will be luminaries in the sky, and we know we're looking up because we see them with verse fourteen. Right. Okay, that's that. Let's see now.
1: Right, right. First fourteen says, Wait, what day is this now? That's right. day That's four. a fourth day. Fourth day. Okay. Okay, so so where where is there a reference to the sun being formed or coming into existence on day three? I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be explicit. We don't
2: Well, we don't, I could I could see I could see to one verse three. How's that? Be he or right, Notice right. there's no creation there. It's not creation, be he or
0: right. So, now was, we,
2: I'm not going to say that that's the sun, but but it is interesting that that uh, our sun is only with about five billion years. So, that would 70. I'm just going to do the calculation. What is day? Mm-hmm. I have to apologize. I have to make my head work more than it can work at the moment. <laughs> sun yeah. is uh, about four, ten, nine, eight billion years. It's at the cusp between day one and day two. The sun, if I were plotting the two together, it'd be between one and day one and day two.
0: Right.
1: So between one light. and right.
2: And that's or, the or, it's not or, it's the or. Between. Okay. So we,
1: okay. Have, so we do have light already mentioned. Okay. I'm not. Right. And that's, I mean, there is, you know, not every rabbi holds it's a famous chazal, famous of our sages. That when it says vahi or in verse three of Genesis one, that Rashi brings down the tradition that 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 this was a special light that God put away for the tzaddikim, You know, for the for the yeah. righteous people that they you know the the masses couldn't handle this kind of light. That's not obviously we're talking about the sun, that's talking about some sort of spiritual force.
2: Right. That's um, for sure, but it, 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 I'm just saying Is an opinion. Let
1: us make that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so in other words, so that would be, so you don't like, so let me just go back to what Rabbi Slifkin was arguing. So he was saying, he quoted the Ralbag, Bag, right, Gershonides, Gershonides, who said that the Torah mentions plants before the sun to demote the sun from its godlike status. I'm reading my notes from last week. Since so many people worship the sun but not because plants were actually created before the sun, right? He, he, form. he formed, formed, form. okay, formed, but not because plants were, you know, cre- um, formed before the sun. He's saying that you don't really, the whole sequence is not really important in any kind of factual scientific way, the way the Torah, the way the Bible describes the first six days of creation. You don't need to do that, he says, because the Torah is here to teach theology, philosophy, not science. and. Um, it sounds like you would, I guess, take issue with that a little because I do. You are trying to fit the science into the Torah, you're or you're trying to reconcile please, please, the two.
2: Take offense at how you've made that sentence. I'm not trying to fit it, it fits okay. <laughs> okay, good. It fits the ages fit perfectly. And if you look at what happens in those ages, and the thing is with the sun, if that light. First of all, we have origins of light. Now we do know that we do know now, which is only like the last twenty years, that that in fact stars and galaxies appear very very rapidly. So already on day one, the appearances of, of galaxies. I'm not saying the Milky Way was there. I don't re- I don't recall the exact age of the of the milk. Uh, it's hard to know anyway, but I think it would be it would actually be towards the end of day one. Actually, the Milky Way would have formed mm-hmm. seven billion years.
1: Yeah okay so 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 saying that um so you you're saying that the the sun was there earlier, it only became visible, let's say in the sky on 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 day four
2: well now, and may 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 say this you no know, on day on day uh when do the plants appear on day, day on day four because i have i again i make the and I'm sure Slifkin knows this and and others know this that until they were plants. The un- the atmosphere was opaque. No, it was translucent. A big part it was translucent. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- I think of I think of once when before I was called up from Miloween, I because of my my age. I was called up after the wars. War the war was going on, and I was doing measurements of uh, it has nothing to do with today's talk except the fact <laughs> the overcast is so heavy. And right. I was measuring p- production the production of, and not for these books or anything, just thank God I was I was doing it, and a, a plane was coming, one of our planes was coming back from its raid, and it flew so low over the, you know, it was to avoid the enemy radar, that I actually threw myself on the ground. I mean, you don't hear it coming, and then suddenly it's. it wasn't going to hit me if I stood up very clear, <laughs> but just, bit, just to tell you the image going through. The image, head, the image, wow. It, Oh, and and it was completely overcast that day. You couldn't see any sun. It was the middle. It was mid morning. Right. So you're
1: saying, so so you're saying the sun could have existed in that way. And but but here's a fundamental.
2: And it wouldn't be visible. But it would be light.
1: Well, listen. I happen to be on a personal level. This is I don't know if you care, but personally, I prefer this explanation because what I asked Rabbi Slifkin last week was. You know, then you have to give theological explanations for all of the creations for the first six days. Why does the Bible, why does the Torah go, go out of its way to say this happened here? And he says, eh, it's it's all theology. It's all teaching ideas, not science. So that I, I would, I, I'm trying to, that would, I think, be a a significant difference between the two of you and your views. You And
2: Maimonides as well. Because Maimonides says it's pure science. We read the introduction to the, the Morinavuchim. Well, a, he was, he was he ironically,
1: ironically, Rabbi Slifkin was quoting Maimonides to, to, you know, using Maimonides as a, not a proof, but as a source that, that, uh, you know, these things should not be read literally. Because Maimonides, we know, didn't read everything in the Torah literally. Or, or certain oh, parts.
2: He, he, but he does say that this Genesis chapter one, I'm not saying he means, it's it science, he says. You mm-hmm. can find. I guess I would say you can find science in it because he does say it's the way it happened in his right. introduction mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. word of God. And Slavkin knows that also. It's not that like, I didn't discover it. <laughs> and,
1: and you are of the opinion. This, this is very fascinating. You are of the opinion that these great rabbis, like Nachmanides and his students, you mentioned, um, were able to give over these scientific theories. Why? Because they would. They somehow were ahead of them. Ahead of everyone else in their scientific age, or that their understanding of, let's say, Kabbalah or Jewish tradition gave them access to ideas hundreds of years before the world, the rest of the scientific world would. How did they get this information? According to I,
2: I preface this by saying I I have I'm a weak student of Kabbalah. I'm, I don't I don't uh, delve into it, mm. but I don't see any other way to explain nachmani's insights. He, other than that is real. <laughs> it wow. sounds crazy.
0: Wow. And,
2: and you do know that the, if you look at the gematria, the word Kabbalah, it happens to be the same number as the cosmological defined structure constant, which, which, and this goes back, who, whom did they ask? Who would be the person? one of the famous, person like Lederman or, or one of these Nobel laureates went to, but who, who was he asked? He went to one of the sages, would be about 80 or 90 years ago. -hmm. Okay, but uh, excuse me, about fifty years ago, and he said we have a number in science it doesn't make any sense. It just pops out. It's one hundred and thirty-seven, and we can't figure out why. What is? And the he was talking with a a scholar, but and the scholar's name you would know immediately. That's what I'm saying.
1: That's okay. That's okay. There were a lot of great. And he
2: just says that's the gematria of Kabbalah.
1: Mm-hmm. Not, for the,
2: I am for, not into gematria I make it very clear. I okay. am not. Okay.
1: Well, I, Gematria
2: I, for I those. find any gematria in my books.
1: For those of you, I know. I, I, I for those of you listening, the gematria means the numerical equivalent of different letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph is one, bet is two, and then if you so what. What Dr. Schroeder is explaining now is that the gamatria of the, the of the word Kabbalah, all right, kuf bet lamet hey, is the same as. Um, as the what explain it cuz i don't know the, the science fine
2: structure constant the fine structure constant of you which is essentially a combination of these wonderful b- values that allow atoms to behave atoms atoms to mm-hmm. behave in a way that they can form molecules and molecules can form big structures like you and me and the books behind your head wow behind my head.
1: wow okay we're 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 um We're getting, we're moving on. So I just have just one or two last questions for you. This has just been incredible. Um, No, no, please, please. Say it's credible. (laughs) Not incredible. Okay, never heard that. That's great. I love it. Um, I I assume that what the Torah says about how man was originally created. Excuse me. God created man from the dust of the ground. The Torah says that God blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And of course, the modern evolutionists claim that human beings originated from uh, ape-like ancestors and evolved over a period of a few million years. So how do we, um, is, is are those things at odds for you? Are they one thing?
2: All right. Look, I okay. They're they're not at odds for me. You may sound like I'm taking li- too liberally. It's Genesis chapter two verse seven that people have the problem with. Mm-hmm. God, God, I don't have right in front of me, but God took the earth from this yeah. and and formed. Yes, and it's, he formed the Adam dust from the ground. Right, he formed. Right, first of right. all, it's no, creation does not appear in two seven because there's no creation that's involved in chapter two seven. It's the formed now forming. We know does what. It takes stuff and time that's the verb the the verb forming takes stuff material and time mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. And the the Torah says it that God took stuff and formed formed him so I say that forming and is, you can argue against it or not that's but that's only opinion my opinion is that that forming we're talking about several several million years that um, this, uh, chapter 2 verse mm-hmm. 7 um, Okay, and then, but then, how the how the sentence develops is just magnificent. So, I'm just going to read an English translation. So, not everyone, I don't think everyone. God formed the Adam, dust from the ground. Take, okay, and then He breathed the, the neshama, neshmat Chaim. Notice the first beginning of the word neshama. The neshama is the soul of human of human. Mm-hmm. All animals have a nefesh. That's what gives you emotion, some levels of will. The neshama makes you free will realize that you're part of the human race. You understand mm-hmm. things about it, including creation and stuff. So it says he brings into him the neshama of life. Okay, so that would be that would be the creation that's mentioned in chapter chapter one verse twenty seven. Where verse twenty six, let, let us make Adam. That takes mm-hmm. time making form. me takes time. And stuff. <coughs> Next sentence: God creates the Adam at thank you have Peggy Ketz of Hawaii for pointing that, the Adam, God creates the Adam, and that's the Neshama, which is mentioned right here in chapter 2, verse 7. He breathes into his nostrils the Neshama, the soul, the human soul of life, and then this sentence has an extra superfluous letter, which is always there to teach, le nefesh hayah, and man became to a living soul. Okay. Mm-hmm. Became two no English translation will ever catch that because it's ridiculous, it's not English, but the Hebrew has and it's not Hebrew either. Man became le nefeshahya to a mm-hmm. living soul, and on that to a living soul, on that one letter, on what letter, the El-lamed, the Ramban, Ramban, mm-hmm. What the yeah, yeah, just everyone so everyone's listening. The Ramban, is, the Ramban is overwhelming. He says this shows it from a lower level to a higher level. And with that, the being nehafach leish acher. Come, you can. You are you able to translate my Hebrew it's so sloppy. Yeah. say it again. Nehafach leish acher.
1: He became transformed, or 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 switched. Go ahead. He became yeah. switched. Nehafach means you know like coffee hafuk upside down, like turned turned around. Leish acher to another person. To to. No,
2: yeah. Get that. You get that. Yeah, to another man, to another person,
1: right.
2: which right. means before this there was a person. He doesn't say nefach leish. He says nefach leish mm-hmm. Before this there was a person, but it wasn't a human. The neshama changed a being. A, I'll say put it this way: the Shama changed a person into a human, to because the arch- anthropology textbooks always confuse. And they use the word person. No, right. Really, they didn't mean person. <laughs> there were people before humans. There were Homo sapiens sapiens that had an they had your brain, they invented farming 10,000, 11,000 years ago, way before Adam. They were smart they were smart guys and gals. Mm-hmm. They lived in a world that we'd all be dead in in a week. But they weren't humans. The British Museum gives a date for this change. Uh, that's uh, There's so many things. But look what the uncle says. The uncle says the ep- Uncleus is is what what year would you guess Uncleus would be about? How many, oh, you know, is
1: about. Oh, I don't know. I'm quite old.
2: It's, it's at least a thousand way over a thousand years. Oh, ago. yeah, more more than a thousand. I think years it's ago. like eighteen hundred yeah. years. Okay, Uncleus says that the person became ruach mamalala. Yeah, became a speaking spirit. And if you realize what that's saying, that our essence, it's what Tlaloc says. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And I think that teaches you life after death. Wow. We are, we're not, he could have written, Chayama malala. he could have said, we're speaking animals. But he doesn't. He says, we're speaking spirits. And it is, I think that the Lord's statement is just magnificent. He's an Anglican priest, I think. We're not physical beings having a spiritual experience; we're spiritual beings having a physical experience.
1: Who, who said I, that? Who's? I'd love to get that. Who's? Uh, who's
2: uh, what's his name? <laughs> uh, it's a big French name. Uh, Tillard <laughs> is his last name. Chidon, I could never pronounce it. My senior, something like t Tillard, T-I-L-L-A-R-D,
1: approximately. Oh, Tillard, uh, last name. Okay, Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. Um, so we're not physical beings having a spiritual experience, but a spiritual being having a physical experience and that, and, and, and what you said about, um, we became a speaking, uh, a spirit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's so powerful. Does that imply that let's say these humans before they became people? Okay. Or is it the other way? No, no. People before before humans. So they Mm -hmm. had some communication skills like, like we see animal, like some animals have.
2: They invented farming 11,000 years ago. They could foresee right. Why would you put a seed in the ground? The neighbors must have been saying, you're crazy. It's going to rot in there. Eat it now. You know, there's, there's no stopping shop down the street to get more <laughs> grains. <But> they said, <laughs> I right. can foresee putting, I've seen these fall into the ground before. And I've noticed that plants grow with a thousand seeds on them. Farming is, is phenomenal. But what didn't invent was writing. It goes back to the time of Adam and the first big cities. Oh. And the British Museum dates this change. I spoke with the curator out there. Barbara and I were giving lectures in London back-to-back and we had the afternoon free, and we go to the Science Museum. I apologize, I won't just have to say this. because Yeah, decade. please, first this first is very powerful. Time. We went to the British Museum. I had no idea. We had no idea. There's a whole wing, not a room, a wing, the Mesopotamian wing. Mm-hmm. In it, the have a plaque that says the first large cities and the invention of writing and a major change in civilization okay Mm. and they give a date about about 5,500 years ago sound familiar (laughs) the curator comes out I speak to the curator I don't mention Adam Neshama and Bible zero I said what's the what is it what is it that made made this change? What well, he says it, it wasn't the population explosion. The change has suddenly so big cities. Big cities mean division of labor. Someone right. farm So you have to trade. That requires writing. And that's the origin of writing. We see it from the early writing. And it dates back to the th- So I said, what made the change? And his answer was exactly, I always like to use this. In Gomorrah Brachot, in in blessings, page. Oh come on, don't lose my head. It's somewhere in the first ten folios. Okay. I think it's the, I think it's the most important statement possibly in all of Talmud. Pardon me for saying so. Wow. I'm not an expert, and it <laughs> says, and, and he gave the answer, right out of out of, and he didn't say to the Mishnah. that Mishnah there says, teach your tongue to say I don't know,
0: <laughs>
2: teach your tongue to say I don't know. He said, we, I don't know. This is the major change in civilization and we have no explanation for it. The Torah's wow. got the explanation. Torah's the explanation. The Neshama comes into the world, changes the world sociologically. It spreads, for, it takes a few hundred years to spread, comes in 5,800 years ago, By 5,500 years ago, there are enough humans to form large cities. Before the Neshama, you couldn't have a large city. If you didn't look like me, smell like me, talk like me, I had you for dinner. Roasted or boiled, it was a dog, <laughs> dog world.
1: Right, literally a doggy dog world. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's I've it's never heard that, Doctor Schroeder. That's incredible. So,
2: and that's that's the British Museum. It's, I mean, I pardon me for saying this, but I think yeah. when Barbara and I saw that date, and he had a plaque on the wall saying when all this, you have to, you know, I've been teaching this for several years now, but I still get covered. My kids say, "Abba." Your hair. Best when I had more hair. My hair is standing up on end. It's it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming.
1: That's incredible. That's incredible, Doctor Schroeder. This is just amazing. Incredible.
2: Incredible.
1: I I just I I have to tell you, besides the actual information that you're sharing, the wisdom that you're sharing, your passion and your excitement um, is just you know you're like a little boy if you don't mind me saying. I hope that's not disrespectful. But you are just like a curious young, you know, man uh, who is just found out like a revelation from God. And I just, and it is these are revelations, and they're in the Torah. And I, I happen to absolutely love this approach because I've always been a little uncomfortable with like, well, you can't, you keep, if we keep looking at verses in the Torah and saying, well, they can't really teach us this, they can't really teach us that, you know, this is really in sync. It's in sync with. With cosmology, it's in sync with with um, evolution in terms of of, of of the formation of man. And this thing from the British Museum is just incredible uh, that 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 large cities, writing, and I, I you know I've been to the British Museum. I need to go back to the Mesopotamian wing uh, and see this because this is just incredible. Yeah, no, this see,
2: it's, is, it's just, it's just incredible.
1: It's just incredible. Incredible, it's <laughs> incredible it's it's amazing
2: it's it's so it's just so exciting that
1: uh you know you know it's funny my last question was as a scientist what in the torah inspires you and helps you in your spiritual journey and your relationship with god but i i think you just answered it if there's something else that you want to share about what studying science does for you as a religious jew um please because that might be a good way to bring this amazing conversation to a close well,
2: it's just that the more you study science, the more you understand the magnificence of the universe, the beauty of it. As someone once wrote, knowing the physics behind a rainbow doesn't make the rainbow less beautiful. <laughs> you know, the, uh, It's just, it's, I don't see how the wisdom... That is confirmed by science. In theory, a person has really true belief. That shows my weakness. But I see this confirmedness by that the science comes. That wisdom that's hidden in these you know, the apples of gold and silver dishes. The proverb twenty five, I think, is the, the yeah. Wisdom is 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 three thousand five hundred years old. Written. And it's as good as if, as if as if it were written today. I mean, the, wow. the depth of knowledge. I don't see yes. how a person could have known these things.
1: Well, it, it's 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 very very compelling. It's extremely helpful to me on a personal level, and very very helpful to our listeners, many of whom struggle with these issues. And to you know, you are a walking embodiment, I believe, of what the Rambam, the great Maimonides, wrote. When he said, if you want to know how to fulfill the mitzvah of the Elokecha, to love the Lord your God, he said you have to study nature and you have to learn to appreciate the world around us. And that's what you're doing by continuing to write and teach, you are enabling all of us to come to a love and an appreciation appreciation of God that we could never have. Because our, you know, most of our ability to grasp science is limited. You know, I'm saying from the layman perspective, most of our listeners, I, I don't think are you know anywhere where you are scientifically. I know this, but you are giving us a window into seeing and appreciating God through your vast knowledge of, of science and and and, um, and physics. And I really, really appreciate your time. Hashem should bless you that you should be able to continue to teach and to to study and to continue to write. Please know that those of us reading your books and listening to you speak. Are paying very very careful attention. These are incredibly critical issues, and I thank you so much for your time here. Thank you.
2: No, my totally my pleasure, and I just urge you on proof of God in five minutes. Jared on Google. I, I just want. I get nothing from this. I want to make it. Yeah. But it can help a lot. Proof of I'm God from the emails I've gotten.
1: Right. Proof of God in five minutes. What is it called? But um, it's, it's on Google. It's on. By the way, I just I, I know I don't want to take longer, but. You know, some people don't like to use the word proof because, um, you know, uh, you know Lawrence Kellman wrote that book, Permission to Believe, which I thought was very good. I don't know if you've ever seen those books, for Rational Approaches to the belief in God. Um, are you okay with that word? I mean, do you really think this is, I mean, maybe you do, which is fine. Are you asking me? I'm asking you, yeah, in terms I of the word. What were now we, now we were oh, I just now. asked whether or not, like, can you use the word proof? Like, this is very heavy evidence. This this makes a very, gives a very heavy rational basis to believe in God. But is there proof? Is this proof? I mean, well, we'll I'm going to go and watch the video.
2: I, I always say you can't prove God, even though I have that video, Proof of God in five minutes.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: it's, it, I would say, it has to be strong enough evidence so that looking at the data, you would feel that the overwhelming conclusion would be there is a force behind this.
1: Gotcha. That's a great way to end. Thank you so much. Um, Dr. Slifkin, thank you so much for your time. And just the best. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. 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 Did I, oh my God, I just called you Rabbi Slifkin. <laughs> well, I, by the way, it was extremely helpful um, to clarify that distinction. I don't know if you know Rabbi Presby, who's also a physicist. He's the grandfather of a student of mine here in New York City, Nathaniel Schlankman, who comes to MGE. And he just came out with a book called The ABCs of Science. I'm interviewing him next week. And one of the things I wanted to do, and this was really helpful, is to see where some of the distinctions are, some of the arguments are between you, Rabbi Slifkin, and let's say Rabbi Presby next week. But I really, really appreciate this. This is a very, really, very, very special. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, thank
1: you. Be well and stay healthy. Amen, amen, thank you so much. And I look forward, by the way, you know we are bringing a group to Israel this summer. It would be such a great, great honor if we could perhaps bring our group to see you. Um, I don't know if you get to New York ever, but it would also be a great honor to host you here. You let us know if you're ever coming to New York in the near future. Thank you. As soon as the
2: virus is, I know. If if you're here, please. You have got my phone number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll
1: be in touch. Okay, absolutely. Thank you so so much.
2: Take care. Thank you. You
1: too. We hope you enjoyed
0: this episode of the Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Joseph Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.